Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome. This is Emily and Kelsey. And we're here for Health Study Podcast. And today we are so excited to be joined by Diana Whitten, filmmaker and activist. And uh, we have the opportunity to ask her about her first film, Vessel. The film follows Rebecca Gompertz and a team of activists known as Women on Waves who are working for the safe provision of abortion for women in countries where it is illegal. Um, so we saw this film together, and we're just going to jump right in with some questions, if that's okay with you, Diana. Sure, great. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So how did this film come about? How did you meet Rebecca? I met Rebecca, um, this was eight years ago when I first learned about their work. And at the time, I was getting my master's in international studies. I had sort of veered away from film after several years working in art departments. And I was reading a lot about offshore spaces, which is this really fascinating geopolitical construct that's sort of a, a space outside of place, outside of law, which historically has been occupied by people that have uh, exploited it for criminal activity or personal advancement or you know, financial corruption and whatnot. And here was an example of an organization that, and a woman who had figured out how to use that space with a social justice agenda and, you know, in an attempt to make the world a safer place. Um, and I thought that was so interesting intellectually. And so mm-hmm. uh, started, you know, brainstorming with some friends and eventually bought some tickets to Amsterdam, rented a camera, and then called her. After all, <laughs> preparations had been made. So I was a little bit frightened to call her at first. I wasn't sure if she'd say yes. Um, but she agreed to meet with us, and that was the first, the first interview I'd ever given, you know, on camera. And... Um, and it progressed from there, and I never really knew I would be getting into something that would last almost a decade of my life and turn into such a big project. But I think, you know, my initial engagement with it had been heady and intellectual, and of course I cared about the issue a lot, but it became much more emotional for me as I saw, you know, as I witnessed what they did and saw how vast the need was for their work and how committed they were to doing this work. So that's how it started. Wow, that's amazing. So what about this cause? specifically spoke to you because you said that it, it grew, but what about it spoke to you and made you buy those tickets? Well, um, I, I mean, it was sort of a convergence of many things. Um, I had lived in a country where, where abortion is illegal. I lived in Indonesia for a couple of years and saw firsthand how that affected people, people that I knew and cared about. Um, I had also, you know, grew up with liberal parents who, you know, my next-door neighbor growing up uh, ran the Wachusett Coalition for Choice in Central Massachusetts, and she used to bring her daughter and me, we were at the same age, to, uh, to rallies with her, keep her rosaries off our ovaries-type rallies. And, you know, that was it, something that I knew, I, it was a movement I knew I wanted to give back to, but, it, but, but rallying never felt uh, authentic for me and my particular skill set. And so once I realized I could you know, apply film to this with this really interesting story and, and such a charismatic character, 
um, mm-hmm. I thought that it would be a great contribution. And she's she's so creative in how she approaches it, and her approach is so different from what I had grown up in, grown up with in the states. We're so on the defensive here, and here was someone working, you know, with this offensive, creative, hilarious strategy. You know, <laughs> giving abortions on a ship in offshore waters. That's absurd. It's completely absurd. And if, you know, she could make something like that that's so far out of the box work. I thought it could, you know, I found inspiration in that, and I thought others might as well. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating, and and the fact that she was in night art school during medical school, and how much <laughs> that kind of contributed to the way she thought about yeah, I was really. I agree. I went to art school, and I can't imagine applying medical school on top of that <laughs> the kind of hours you have to put into that kind of education is just mind blowing to me. But she is an artist, and her first. You know, her first grant, the first monies that funded the first campaign to Ireland that Women on Waves took in 2000, 2001, 2000, mm-hmm. um, was funded by an art grant that came from the Dutch government. Oh, wow. So in many ways, it's, it's a performance piece. Right. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, that you were excited to incorporate film um, into Women on Waves. What, what did you see... Um, the role, you know, did you imagine that the film would have a role for women on waves, or was Rebecca excited that this film would help spread the cause? Or how did what, what did you see as the film's role, or, or did you just want to make the film for yourself? Well, no, I, I always saw it as something that would be a good story with a great with great characters and also a Trojan horse for medical information, you know, it doesn't we'll get into that. Um, but just quick, we, we did maintain a certain separation uh, between, you know, it was very clear that I was a filmmaker witnessing their work and they were the organization doing the work. And there were many times, you know, on campaigns where you have to be a little bit invisible as a filmmaker. You know, you have to sort of make people forget you're there when you're doing Verite Doc. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, there were so many times when we'd be brainstorming or they'd be brainstorming how to get out of a particular, you know, situation or problem. And I'd be so, you know, I'd have ideas and I'd want to jump in and, and help and I couldn't because that wasn't my role. I was there to watch what they were doing. So that was a lesson in itself. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's there's parts of the film that definitely serve as uh, as spreading the same information that they're in the world to spread. So I knew that, especially towards the end, um, and especially once the film started gaining some traction and actually reaching audiences, um, that it would it would help their not only their cause but the cause of many organizations that are working toward the same goal. Right. Yeah. We noticed. I mean, that you there was a, some amazing animation and text that explained very clearly um, how to do a medical abortion. And I know we we read recently that you know women on waves are creating apps in 15 different languages with, um, you know, animated film to, to right. get this information out there. And did, did you see the film as a tool also for, for like, a how, a how to? Exactly. So we, we use animation for a couple of reasons. Um, first, it was very difficult to explain the context in which they work with Talking Head Interview and Verite before we could even get into the story. We had to explain what international waters were. We had to explain what the abortion pill was. We had so many facts to get through to you in order to even start the story that, that the best way we found to do it was through animation. Um, and that's when Emily Hubley came in. Um, she's, you know, a brilliant animator from Animation Royalty. Her parents worked with the MoMA. Uh, I knew her work from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, mm-hmm. So I sought her out 
to help us with that problem. But also, yes, the third animation in the film is a how-to, essentially, of uh, how women can take Meet the Postal uh, safely in situations where they don't have access to the gold standard of, you know, abortion care in a clinic or, you know, with the, with the two-pill regimen that we use here in the States. Women can take, I'll back up a second, women can find the still supposed in many pharmacies around the world where abortion is illegal. It's in the pharmacies as an anti-gastric ulcer medication, and if they take it off-label, according to World Health Organization protocols, it's a safe way to terminate a pregnancy when they don't have health doing so. So much of what um, Women on Waves does is help spread the information about that pill, and uh, this animation achieves the same goal. And it's... It, we, you know, we put it in the context of the story, but we also extracted it from the film and have translated it into 20 languages, actually, at this point. And those animations are being used wow. by more than women on the earth. And, you know, several organizations, Women Help Women is another organization that's using them. Um, and IPASS was part of uh, making them happen. They're going to use them. So uh, it's really about letting them live on live their own, you know, have live on their own, have their own legs. Um, and and be a tool for training. And I hope, you know, that it can be used alongside the film. The film sort of gives that information some context. It shows people that might need these protocols that hundreds of people around the world are, are using the same pills in the same way. And it's a safe thing to do, and they're not hurting their patients and, you know, their sisters and whatnot. There, there's a solidarity to it. Yes, I, I love that about the film. It's one of my favorite kind of parts of the film is the fact that it is so helpful and in a way I feel like it's sort of this victory that you're able to put it out there and be like, come to this film screening, but also learn how to do an abortion, which yeah. just feels like, ha ha ha. Um, there's, also, there's also two parts of the film that Kelsey and I absolutely love. I just find them so um, triumphant. And I wanted to ask you about them as a, as a filmmaker, because you mentioned that you're you're sort of behind this lens and and a, a bit removed and, and you know with reason, um, but I wondered about you in those situations. And one of them was Rebecca's appearance on Portuguese television, where she where she actually boldly gives that information and then sort of um, you know talk, admits that she's she's pregnant and she's had an abortion and and um, all of those things, so really puts, puts an abortion, abortion rights activist in a different light and, and really humanizes herself, in my opinion, and then also sort of um, puts this, put this one guy in his place about how men maybe shouldn't um, talk about abortion. And then the yeah. other one is, is um, in Ecuador when, they, um, when the, the activists hang, hang a sign with the information, with the phone, with the calling number for women on waves, and also um, just, just saying you know, call us for information about free safe abortion. So, um, you know, what, what was it like being involved in sort of being on the ground in those situations for you? Sure. So the, um, actually the first half of the film, the film, the footage from Ireland, Poland, and Portugal was donated to me. I didn't start filming until the Ecuador oh, wow. footage. So um, I wasn't there for those first uh, few campaigns. That was before I started working with them, um, I, which, you know, it's something I love. I love that the, even the film was made, you know, with, sort of collectively. Um, that, this, that, that these filmmakers that weren't able to finish their projects were happy to allow it to be a part of this project so that I could tell the whole story. Um, but, but the Portugal moment, I will just add to that to say it was absolutely critical for the work that they do now. I mean, that was when the, 
in my from my perspective, when their work shifted from really interesting and creative but not sustainable to something groundbreaking and really paradigm shifting, and it's because when uh, they had been they had been basically held by by two Portuguese warships outside of the Portuguese harbor for about a week. By that point, and Rebecca was so frustrated because she couldn't get the ship in, so she went on live Portuguese television and told women about Misoprostol, how to find it in Portugal, and then how to take it. Uh, safely. And this was the first time anyone had gone public with this information. It was starting to be out there, but only through doctors. Um, and so this whole idea to sort of challenge the medical hierarchy and go straight mm-hmm. to women with this information um, was what led to their sister organization, the sister organization of Women on Waves, which is called Women on Web. So at this point, uh, Women on Web is, is fully functioning. It's an online service where women can write and get information about the pill, where to find it, in whatever country they're writing from, provided that country still doesn't have access to legal abortion. And if they cannot access the pills themselves, Women on Web will send them the pills uh, by a mail, by a post. Um, oh, cool. So um, that's, you know, they were the first to start doing this in the world. There are more organizations that are doing it now, which is great, um, because it really sort of takes into consideration what's possible in a globalized world. And it finds sort of new, new offshores. Essentially, we're talking about customs law and internet law, and how can we, how can we, you know, think in in this globalized mindset of how to help women who who can't get local access, local help. Um, so I just wanted to highlight how important that was for where the um, where the movement has gone since that has sort of you know gone because of that moment in many ways and. It's something that's not just a foreign story anymore. It's a local story because so many clinics are closing across the state. The Guttmacher Institute recently cited 26 states of our union as hostile to abortion, um, over half. Um, and, you know, in places like the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which is sort of this, you know, quintessential example, women don't have any access at all to clinics and doctors to help them. So they are finding these pills online, and they are finding these pills in flea markets and crossing the border into Mexico to get them. So this is a problem that's, you know, now affecting Americans. It's not a foreign story. It's a local story. Um, so all that to say, I wasn't on the ground then. <laughs> it was a pretty important moment. <laughs> and uh, I guess I can speak more emotionally to the Ecuador moment, yeah. which was when these activists in Ecuador hung a banner from uh, the Virgin of Panacea, um, which is a you know iconic uh, statue in the middle of uh, Quito, Ecuador, that you can see from all over the city, um, and it's a statue of the Madonna. So it's definitely a loaded icon. Um, and with some encouragement from women on waves, the local activists agreed to hang this this banner with the hotline number from the statue. Um, and of course, that image made it into a lot of press. And you know what the film shows, and what my experience was, was there's a lot of hesitation and the activist part, the local activist part, to hang it there because they thought, you know, they they would get into a lot of trouble, essentially. And it would alienate people that might be more inclined to be on their side. But it was interesting to watch how much of that, you know, was self-censorship on their part and um, how much we censor ourselves, which I think is the main message of Rebecca. You know, there's so much to be scared of that's legitimately frightening. We can get into so much trouble, even in our country, you know, if you push a lot of boundaries here. and, but it's not necessarily, it, it shouldn't stop us as much as we do. And that's, you know, that's the lesson I took from, from their work. And, um, and that's what played out in Ecuador. They didn't get, no one got arrested. You know, they managed to get this image into the press and then the hotline exploded and they started, I think the film shows something like 
70, 60, between 60 and 75 calls in the couple hours that they had that phone off for while they were hanging the banner. And I know that hotline in Quito is still continuing to date. And I, last time I heard from them, they were still getting about 10 calls a week consistently. And this was in 2008. So, um, so it, was, it was a successful way to challenge. Also, uh, I got a, um, an email maybe a month or two ago from a group in Belfast, Ireland, who had seen Bethel, seen that scene, and hung their own banner from a cathedral in Belfast with their own hotline number. That's incredible. That is yeah. so cool. Um, I guess you talk, um, so we also watched your TED Talk, and in your TED Talk you speak about, um, you speak about the law catching up with reality, something uh-huh. that I know that we both experienced um, in the birth world, me being a birth doula and Kelsey being a labor and delivery nurse, and I, I, I know what that looks like to me, and I just wonder what that looks like to you you know, what the reality, um, what the goal is. Um, right. Well, I mean, 42 million abortions each year and a half are happening in illegal situations. There's so many, there's, I think it's one every 10 minutes now a woman dies because of a, um, an unsafe abortion. It's so unnecessary. One of the metaphors we came up with along the way was that's about a small, you know, a plane crash a day of women uh, that don't need... Um, to be experiencing this. So, um, and, you know, as, you know, just the, some of the scenes that couldn't make it into the film that I experienced working with this group, there was a, when we were in Kigoma in Tanzania, there was a, a group that came down from a refugee camp uh, in the, uh, they were somewhere nearby. They had refugees coming in from Rwanda and, um, and Congo and the we all we sat down with them and they were saying you know Rebecca described what the group did and they said you know their first instinct was to say oh well we don't need those services but thank you so much but perhaps you might want to just tell us you know a little more about what you do and the more she talked with them the more open they became to this idea just because even in refugee camps they had a huge problem you know with with uh, unwanted pregnancies and no way to deal with it and that was really um I just can't even imagine uh, having that kind of need and having no access. And, you know, it runs the gamut. There's women in all demographics that need help that can't get help. So why, why do you think, and why do you think that, you know, this seems like such a clear need and it, and it seems so obvious to some of us why we should be supporting these women, but why do you think abortion is such a, a polarizing, heated topic for so many people? I think that's a really big question. <laughs> I, know, I think if we knew the answer to that in any kind of succinct form, we'd have a different strategy to fix it. Um, yeah, I, for me, I think, you know, I think about it a lot, and I think it comes down to power, um, mm-hmm. that there's, you know, subtleties and, and individual reasons. There's so much denial. Uh, you don't speak with any abortion provider. At least I have never spoken with an abortion provider that didn't have the experience of you know, working amidst the protesters that are outside of her clinic day in and day out, and then ultimately one of those protesters needing her services either for herself or her daughter or someone in her family or a friend, and then sure enough, a week later is right back out there because her situation is different for whatever reason in her head, you know? So it's, Mm -hmm. I don't really understand that kind of denial. Um, I love how practical 
uh, the Women on Waves approach was, and that's one of the other reasons why it appealed to me. It was so direct. There was this really interesting, you know, construct and spectacle around it, but it was actually directly helping people. Um, and, and that, to me, makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Do you have the answer to that question? <laughs> we'll let you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something we think about a lot, and I think one of the most important things is that we just keep asking these questions and we keep thinking about them, and more and more of us keep thinking about them, and that's why we feel that your work and, and the wisdom of, of the people, everyone involved in this project, and even just just the general feeling of, of contributing and, and sharing and, and making this thing from a community that the people that really, really care is, is so important and valuable to us. That's really what we're about as a podcast here at Hail to the Beach. Um, and, I, and I guess um, we also just, just want to ask you, because we recently received an email from Women on Waves about the first abortion drone flight planned for June 27th. Um, and I know that that's like another practical effort on their part and wondering if you know anything about that. I mean, I know a little bit about it. I'm I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm glad that she's she's publicizing it. I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, she's a really exciting thing about Rebecca is that she's an innovator. You know, she's constantly thinking about new ways to um, make use of the latest. You know, the the, the latest. You know, what we have access to technologically and um, and and how to have fun with it. Really, um, activism should be a little bit fun. Um, so, I, yeah, I can't wait to see how this goes down. I think it's, it's the 27th, right? So it's next week. Uh, they're, yeah. yeah, they're delivering a drone from um, from Germany into Poland. And I I believe, I heard from her this morning, I believe the Polish press is excited about it in various <laughs> positive and negative ways. <laughs> so it should be interesting to watch. <laughs> Keep your eyes out for the headlines. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we're so excited. We're just following her, and I, I love, I love that you mentioned her, her sense of humor and and uh, and how innovative she is. Because I think that her, as a as a character, is also such a huge part of of why the movie is so captivating. You know, she's really this bold, empowered woman, and and for me, a, a heroine within this whole story. So, you know, I I I love that about her. And, um, yeah, she she takes a lot of energy to follow around for several years. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need you need the vacation time. Um, <laughs> and 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 I, we we'd also love to know. You know, we're, we're also so appreciative of you and 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 you as as an artist and um your your expression also and and wanted to know what's next for you. Like, what's your next film project? Is there anything we can look forward to? Well, I'm tying up the sort of outreach year. We premiered the film uh, a year ago in March, and since then I've been touring pretty extensively with the film. We um, teamed up with a group called Filmstrat to do a community screenings tour, uh, which is how you saw the film. Um, and it's been great because any group or organization or company, large or small, can host a screening of the film for their own purposes. Um, and uh, we've had about 200 screenings through that campaign, in addition to the 50-plus festivals we've done. So we've really been able to reach a wide audience globally with that. And that's actually still going on. If any of your listeners are interested in booking a screening, uh, we have about um, until that we're at least booking through the end of the month for the rest of the year. Um, so if you're interested, book now. Um, but yeah, the, for a, a very modest licensing fee, you can use the event to raise money for your own work. And we've seen several organizations do that, and that's been really heartening. Um, so 
all that to say, I'm still sort of tying up loose ends around Bethel. Um, you know, those sort of last, the last loose ends of distribution. Um, but I have started to think about what's next, and um, it's a little bit daunting, you know, having spent a, you know, I started this eight years ago as a different person then, so it's really, <laughs> there's, there's been some inventory going on, some personal inventory. But I have a list going, and it's exciting. It's exciting to think about starting new with an entirely different, possibly related, but maybe not, not sure yet, topic. So we'll see. We're definitely <laughs> excited. Yeah. Keep us keep us up to date with that. Oh, and you. You, you mentioned the screenings. Could you just give me a direct? I just want a direct quote on how we can we can get that going. So what can people do to to host the screening? Oh, absolutely. Who do they get so would, Yep. If you would like to host a screening of the film, and any group large or small can do so, um, you can go to our website, which is thehelpofilm.com. Uh, and click on the screening section, section and uh, there's a small form to book a screening. And there's a modest licensing fee. Uh, and with that, you can hold your screening and use it as a fundraiser for your own activities or not, and just you know, enjoy it however you want to structure your evening. But if you would like to book that screening, I would uh, recommend getting in touch with us in the next week because we'll be, uh, that's how we'll be booking for the rest of the year through the end of this week. Wonderful. We'd love to see more screenings. We'll definitely be there. And and how could we? How can our listeners support the cause? How can we support women on waves, women on web? Um, do you have any tips there? Um, sure. Uh, I think the best thing to do, first of all, is find Vessel on Facebook and Twitter at Vessel the Film, and uh, and please share the film uh, with your friends. It's on Netflix. Um, it'd be great if we could get some five star reviews. We've had some initiatives from anti-choice organizations bringing our ratings down. Um, it's also on iTunes if you don't have Netflix. But I think in terms of getting involved, you know, many people often come up to me after the screenings and ask how they can join the ship. And while that's always a possibility to write to them and sort of see if, you know, there's, if they need you, it's also, um, it's also possible to get involved at the local level. There's so much activity happening here in the States and in every state and every city. Um, there's so much need on the ground locally that, you know, if you are inspired by the film or otherwise to, to join the movement, there's so many ways that you can, you can uh, locally. And, you know, I'm a good example of that. I found, you know, I had a certain skill set and, um, and knew I wanted to apply it to the movement and figure out a way to do it. So that was very gratifying for me. Uh, so I would encourage that, finding some way to, to, to get involved locally. locally. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that information, Diana. Um, we're going to... We're so excited. When we saw it, we were just crying, so we just want to see everyone crying. <laughs> yes, yes. That's good goal. Make everyone cry. Yeah, that's the goal. That's all this is. It's also funny. Um, I hope you laughed a little bit as well. We, we did. did. We did. It was, it was a mess. It was a It's wonderful. I really recommend it. So we're actually going to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for all this information. It's truly a gift to be able to reach you and share you with our listeners. Um, we're Thank you very much for having me. With you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Diana, so much. Okay, take care. Thank you. Thank you.